was thinking as I was watching that, there's got to be at least one person in here right now who's thinking, are you telling me I braved this horrific winter storm to come and be told to give? What a ripoff. We got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, what, what, man, you know, you come here to church and it's about that today. You know, we, uh, we are talking about giving today. And it, it, that's a touchy topic. It, t- touchy topic. It's a, it's a sensitive topic. Um, it's interesting that you hear more and more in the church today when pastors get together. Shouldn't talk about that. People won't come. People won't come back. People don't like to hear that. And kind of like we touched on last week, you know, I look around our nation today where, where we are failing financially on every level. From, from the home to the business to the, to the government. They're, they're just, our, our finances are all disarray. Folks, we need to know what God says. We, we need to know His instruction for our own good and for our own well-being. And today, we're not talking about all that God says. We are talking about a specific area of what God says in the area of finances. A, a first area, a first priority. Because while God addresses all of our financial decisions and how to make those, uh, if we don't get the first place, if we don't get the first priority, uh, it's hard to get the others to line up. If we don't take the right first step, it's hard all of a sudden for steps two, three, and four to become right. And and I'm going to be sharing today really from a, a... a personal testimony, not, not you, what you should do or have done or, or, or anything like that, but really just doing what I do and explaining why. And, you know, I want you to know something as I, know, as I share this. You know, I know I can be wrong. I, I, I know I can, I, you know, I'm not right in everything. I hope that wasn't a question mark for you that wondered. I think that guy always thinks he's right. Uh, no, I, I know I can be wrong. And because I know I can be wrong, I know you can disagree. And, and in times it might be appropriate for you to disagree. What I would challenge you with though today is while I can be wrong, I'm not always wrong. And if I am accurately representing God's word, then you need to interact with that. And if I'm wrong, be able to explain it. Where, not to me. It's not important that you explain it to me. But, but be able to explain yourself. Here's where he misinterpreted Here's where he left something out. Here, here's where he just went in the wrong direction. It's okay to disagree with me. And you're not going to have to explain it to me. But you know what? You are one day going to have to explain it. You know, we've been talking last week about that owner-manager principle. He's the owner of everything. We're managers. We're stewards. We're stewards of finances, of relationships, of decisions and opportunities. And stewards, managers, give an account. We have to explain why and what. You know, I want to share with you a little bit about why and what for Karen and I. Now, the what, I, I can explain that in about a sentence. Uh, Karen and I, for our entire marriage, certainly, of course, that includes being here all of our time of being here at this church. We have, as a minimum, given 10% of our gross income to this church. That's where we start uh, with our giving. That's the what. Now, what I want to talk more about today is the why. Why did we make that decision? Why do we do that? And and the first reason I think I do that, and this one might sound a little bit strange, you know, not like, okay, I'm taking notes, that's what I'm going to do. You know what my first reason is? That's what my parents did. That's not necessarily a biblical reason why you would or would not. But, you know, when I grew up, my 
mom and dad modeled tithing before us. And as I watched that, you know, it was right. It just looked right. It looked good. My dad is a, uh, a small business owner. Uh, he's done very well as the decades have added up. But I remember when he first started that business, I was in third grade. And boy, we had some, I say we, my mom and dad, I was along for the ride. But man, they had some rough years. Uh, there, there was some years, I imagine some of y'all have experienced this. You, you've been a business owner, especially a small business owner. My mom and dad came to some places multiple times where they were like, if we don't get a sale this week, we'll close the business. If it doesn't happen this week, we're, we're done. And uh, man, there was just some, some very, very difficult times. I remember one, I think I've shared this before. I remember one whole summer, I, 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 I'm pretty sure all we ate was hot dogs. And I'm not talking about the good ones. There was no beef in what we were eating. I'm just, you know, these were what we could afford, hot dogs. Um, But you know, all through that, no matter what was going on with the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of trying to get a business started, uh, my mom and dad tithed. And I know there were some times there, what they were tithing, wasn't a very big amount, but it it was their tithe. And as I watched God be faithful to them, or I watched them be faithful to God. I saw God be faithful to them. And the whole thing just looked good. So when I'm sitting here thinking, hey, why, why do you do what you do? You, you know, I look back, I think my mom and dad left an example that, that probably, you know, made me very open. It gave me a very positive view, a very positive understanding of how I might look at something like that. Second reason that we do what we do is, uh, I don't know about you, I want to be smart with my money, don't you? I want to make good decisions. Well, the Bible tells me where wisdom starts. Y'all know the verse, don't you? Proverbs 1, 7, Proverbs 9, 10, that wisdom begins with uh, what? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. If I, if I want to make good decisions, it's going to begin with fearing God. Now, I don't think we always understand what that phrase is, fearing God. Because, you know, we think of fear, we think of like, you know, horror film. Ah! You know, is that what we're doing with God? You know, I'll make good decisions if I see God and go, Ah! Is that what that's talking about? No. You know, fear of the Lord is just very simply this. It's acknowledging that God exists and that he has spoken to what I'm doing. Therefore, I'm going to act in light of that. And that's not just in money. That's in everything we're doing all the time. God exists. God has spoken and he has spoken to this right here. So I'm going to act like it. I'm going to act in light of that. It kind of goes back to that owner-manager principle. I, I have to give an account. I have to answer for this. And as we saw last week, God speaks to, to all areas of finances. He talks about saving and borrowing and providing for a family and paying bills. He speaks to all of these different things. Well, fearing God means, hey, God exists. He has spoken to all this, so I'm going to act like it. I'm going to act like he has spoken to this. I'm I'm going to do that. And when God speaks, he speaks that there is a first priority. There is a first act with our finances. And that that is the tithe. And and I do believe in the tithe. The, the, The word tithe is a Hebrew word. And it literally means, if you translate it, 10%. So you'll hear me kind of bouncing back and forth using those two phrases synonymously, tithing or or 10%. And, uh, you know, folks, it's funny how we treat that word. We we treat the 10% like it is some kind of super way out there amount. Oh my gosh, you know, we don't have to give that much, do we? I, I got, I don't know if it's scary news or bad news for you. 
10% is the smallest amount of money ever referred to in Scripture as a gift to the Lord. You don't find Old or New Testament, a gift being given to God that if explained ever amounts to less than that. It's the, the word tithe that starts in, in the Old Testament, it starts in Genesis 14, right in the very beginning. Uh, Abraham won this kind of a, for lack of a better word, a military victory. And uh, on his coming home from that, he, he saw the priest, Melchizedek, and gave a gift unto the Lord to him, and it was the tithe, it was 10%. It, we see Isaac, his son, grow up, and I, Isaac does the same thing, probably modeling what, what he saw his dad do. Then as we go further into the Old Testament, we get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we start seeing the word tithe used a lot uh, in the law. It's under the law. As a part of the law, you gave the tithe. And a lot of people dismiss the tithe because they say, it's under the law. I want you to know something. I don't tithe because I'm trying to obey the law. I, I, I'm not trying to be under the law when I tithe. We, I, I live under Christ, Amen. When, you're, when we say under the law, that means you're trying to get to God. You're trying to access God's presence by your obedience, by your holiness, by how perfectly you keep the law. Well, I failed at that. So did you. The Bible tells us we're going to fail at that. And so God provided another way. That way has a name. It's Jesus Christ. Another way to the presence of God. So I don't live under the law. I live under Christ. And so some, though, have said that because I'm not under the law, we don't have to give the tithe. And, and under the law, the tithe really did have kind of a, a feel of paying a tax. It almost was like paying a bill under the law. Uh, the funny thing is, under the law, the tithe was not the big prize. That was not the big gift. An average Jew obeying all of the law would have given about 25 to 33% of his income in the course of one year. That you started with the tithe, and then there would be a variety of different offerings that would happen throughout the course of the year, and it, and it would add up one-fourth, one-third of your income would, would be going to the temple. And so even then, the, in, in, under the law, the tithe was not the big amount, that was the, the starting amount, that was the minimum. Now as we come into the New Testament, we don't see the word tithe. Or, or, or a Greek equivalent to that word. That's another reason some people would dismiss the idea that you have to give 10% to the Lord. And that is true. You don't, you don't see 10% uh, in the New Testament. Does the New Testament command us to give? Over and over and over and over. All through the Gospels. It's one of the things Jesus talks about more than any other topic. Jesus the rest of the New Testament writers join him in talking about that and commanding giving. You say, well, do they give any help on the amount? Well, they throw a lot of examples of giving up in front of us. Uh, Paul was writing the Corinthians one time and was talking about the giving of the Macedonians. The Macedonians were, were a people living in poverty. It was a, a time of a famine. And they took up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Paul was so amazed by their gift. It, it, it's almost like he's saying, y'all gave too much. You, you, you can't afford to do this. Now, it doesn't say what percentage or what amount they gave. It just said that Paul was so overwhelmed by what they gave. He said, that, that's, that's too much. You shouldn't be giving that kind of money considering your own situation. So, as, you know, as I'm thinking about, hey, what am I supposed to do? That's an example. Uh, we, we see the, the widow give in the middle of a service 
And as and, and a matter of fact, in the middle of the service, Jesus stops the service and says, look, look what she just did. Can you imagine that? Man, uh, you know, the, the, the praise team is singing, the orchestra's going, we're passing the plate. And Jesus says, stop, stop, stop everything, put a spotlight over there. I want everybody to see what that person just gave. Boy, that'd make you sweat. Who's he pointing to? <laughs> wow, what a moment. Jesus actually did that. Y'all remember what the widow put in? 100%. Yeah, he thought, I want everybody to see this. She just put in everything she had. Zacchaeus, another guy that, that, that came to the Lord, repented of his sins, turned from his own ways and began to follow Christ. And the scripture says that in a part of that, he gave 50%. Now, neither one of those passages commands you and me to give 50% or, or 100%. But here again, we know we have this command of giving well, what kind of examples is Scripture throwing up in front of us? You know, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, you know, 10% doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> that doesn't sound near as bad as 50% or 100%. Now, while the New Testament does not use the word tithe, and, and again, I'm coming back to what I believe and what I, how I've interpreted Scripture, uh, I do believe that Jesus refers to the tithe and commands the tithe for the New Testament follower. Uh, and I see that in Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. Jesus, you might be familiar with the story. Jesus is talking, uh, you know, there's a crowd there, but there's, there's two groups in front of them, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Both groups hate Jesus. Uh, they, they just want him dead. And they toss out a question to Jesus. They say, Jesus, what do you think about paying taxes to Rome? Now, they could care less what his answer is. They're not interested in, in his concept of taxes. They're not interested in his answer or following it. What they're counting on is the audience. You see, they know that part of the audience likes Rome, wants Rome's favor and protection, and is for paying taxes. They know another part of the audience hates Rome, thinks Rome's ungodly, and thinks it's ungodly to be paying taxes to Rome. Boy, not much has changed, has it? And so see, what they're counting on is when we ask Jesus this question, whatever his answer is, he's going to make one of these two groups mad. And then we can go to one of those two groups and say, man, what are we going to do with this Jesus guy? We got to get rid of him. That, that's all they're looking for. They don't care what he says. And so they ask the question, what do you think about paying taxes to Rome? And you, you might know the answer that Jesus gave. It's almost become a cliche today. He said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give to the government what belongs to the government. Who, who decides what the government gets? Do you decide that or do they? I, you know what? I just filed my taxes about 10 days ago and uh, looked on that, that line on, you know, on my, my tax due. I can assure you that was not my decision. I can assure you somebody kindly made that decision for me. You know, help me out what I could do there. And, uh, you know, so Jesus says, give to the government what belongs to the government. But then he goes somewhere that they didn't ask. And he makes an exact same statement, a parallel statement. In other words, like we might understand the first statement, understand this second statement. Give to the government what belongs to the government. And then he says, give to God what belongs to God. Now, if I understand the way that worked in the first phrase, if the government decides, wouldn't God be deciding? I think so. Now, what does change from Old to New Testament is in the New Testament, you absolutely do see a move from giving as almost like paying a bill 
to there being a freedom, a, a, a voluntarism. Uh, there, there, there's a freedom in how I come up with that amount. There's a, a freedom in how I give it. It wasn't a freedom to not give. It wasn't a freedom to not do anything. It was not a freedom to do less than any people of God have ever done before. But it was just a freedom in how you came about that. But the audience is listening to Jesus and he says, give to God what is God's. Now, that says there's an amount. It's in my hands for the moment. It all belongs to God. But even the amount in my hand that belongs to God, part of that is to go back to him. Give to God what belongs to him. Well, that begs the question, what belongs to him? And and some of you have heard me say this before. It begs the question for you and me. It didn't beg the question for his audience. You see, the answer to that is in the context of his audience. Jesus was a Jew. His audience was Jewish. Their scriptures were the Old Testament. Do you know what a synonymous phrase throughout the Old Testament for the tithe was? That which belongs to God. You see, when Jesus said, give to God what belongs to God, they weren't going, huh, I wonder... I wonder what that amount is. I wonder what he means. No, nobody, they all would have immediately understood. He's referring to the tithe. So Jesus in the present, for the New Testament follower, follower, refers to a way of giving in the past, affirming it how we do it today. So I, folks, me, my personal testimony, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the command of Jesus Christ is that as we voluntarily and freely figure out how and what we're going to give to the Lord, that that freedom begins with the tithe. I believe that the same way I believe in the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Christ, and that, and that Christ is going to physically, bodily return to this earth. In the same way I believe the Scripture teaches that, I, I believe it teaches this. So that's why we do what we do. Tell you another reason we do what we do, I mentioned this last week, I, you know, Jesus told me to send treasures to heaven. Okay, I'm going to do that. I, I, I'm going to give. I'm going to send treasures. I don't know what we're going to do with treasures in heaven. I don't know why, if that'll be important or what. But I trust Jesus. I mean, I said I trust him with my life. I, I, I've said I've trusted him with eternity and this whole heaven hell thing. I, I guess I should be able to trust his words too and trust what he, what he says on this. And he said, send some to heaven. Now, I know part of the reason he said that because if you... See the whole verse in Matthew 6, it says, because where your money goes, what follows? Your heart. Man, if you want to keep your heart aligned right with God, if you want to keep your heart aligned right with heaven, send the treasures there because your, your heart's following. I don't want to keep my heart totally tied here. So I trust Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to obey Jesus. And so that would be a reason we do that. Uh, another reason... Another reason that Karen and I do what we do is, folks, honestly, I don't want to find out. This is my testimony. I don't want to find out what it's like to not have God in my budget. You know, the, the guys a moment ago in the video referred to, uh, uh, to, to testing God and seeing his faithfulness. And, and Karen and I decided we were going to start our marriage. We're going to begin that, man. We're going to... We're going to test God, and I have, and, and folks, he's faithful. I, I can't make a case for here's why I shouldn't be doing that kind of giving. Here's why we can't afford that. You know, I just said I filed my taxes, and you see on that tax, you see your contribution line, and um, it's been a long time. I don't remember how long it's been. It's been a long time, but I used to look at that line, and uh, I'd be tempted to think, 
boy, what if? Boy, what, what if I hadn't given that? What if I had that amount available to me this past year? Boy, what, what could I have done? I, I used to see that and think that. I, I don't remember what happened or, or when it changed, but, but that's the way I know what happened. Because I remember once I was thinking that, and this is the thought, and I've never been tempted by that thought again. All of a sudden I said, Randy, what do you mean by what if? What do you mean by what if you had that money available? Are you saying, gosh, what if I had robbed God? What if I had robbed him? Boy, how much better it would have been this year. Boy, what, what if I had invited God not to be a part of my budget? God, I don't want your guidance. I don't want your presence. I don't want your wisdom. I don't want your blessing on what I'm doing in this. I, I would like you to leave. I mean, folks, I've really have come to the place we have, Karen and I, I really believe God's worth more to my budget than the, the 10 plus percent we've given to him over the course of our marriage in his church. I, I just don't think getting that 10 percent back would add up to what God has been inside of it. I know it's a cliche, but I mean, I really do mean it. I can't afford not to tithe. I can't afford to find out what that's like. I mean, just like you, I can run numbers sometimes and think, boy, how's this going to happen and how's that going to happen? You know, I've already been trying to figure out this college thing and in six months I get the joy of figuring out how to have two in college. Woohoo! praise God for that. You know, and all the other things going on. I told Karen a couple of years ago, I said, Karen, I think we are entering a financial gauntlet. It's going to take about 12 years. I don't know if we'll survive. <laughs> but, but here we go. But you know, when we run that gauntlet, I'll never once think about, hey, I wonder if it'd be better or easier or more affordable if we weren't giving. I don't want to find out what it's like to not have God in my budget. You know, last reason that, that uh, Karen and I do what we do, and I, I want my money to count. I, I want something I'm doing financially to, to make a difference and to last forever. Now, I, I don't want to have money in a budget that all I do is consume. Now, I didn't say I don't want to consume. I can consume right along with the best Americans. I like stuff. I like good places, and I like good food, and I like good things. I like as much as anybody. I mean, I, I really do. I wouldn't even say sometimes I haven't struggled with materialism. I, I mean, I really, I like that. I like spending money on that. But not all of it. I don't want everything I'm doing just to be about this earth and what makes this earth feel good. I want something to count forever. And I have found tithing and giving to the local church for almost 10 years now here at Colonial Heights Baptist Church to be what gives me that opportunity. That's why we do what we do. Why do you do what you do? don't have to answer me. You don't have to have an answer that I agree with. But you do have to answer. You will have to explain to the Lord why you did or did not do with His resources what He said. You know, I've referred to a number of passages today. I haven't, haven't opened the Bible and read any. Should open the Bible at least once, don't you think? One time. I want to read, it was, it was referred to up here. I want to read Malachi 3, uh, beginning in verse 7. And as I read this, folks, think about what you've watched on the news. What's been happening in our nation over the last 
one to ten years, really maybe even the last twenty years, and, and where it's brought us to, what, what's happening, what we're feeling. And, and listen to this, and, and just, this, this passage was probably written in 400 B.C., so this, this is, this, these words that I'm reading are 2,400 years old. See if they sound current to you. Verse 7, Malachi 3, it says, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my laws and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how can we return to you when we've, when we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings. Did you hear that? It's actually two things. There again, the tithe was just the minimum, the starting point. Beyond that, they were robbing God. Beyond that, they were cheating God. He said, you've cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. Verse 9, you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now you can't, you can't make a perfect bridge from the nation of Israel to the, to the nation of America because that was a, a theocracy. That was a, a God-driven nation. The whole people belonged to God. Uh, that's not us. We're not driven by God. We're not a theocracy like that. But when it, it says the whole nation has robbed me, folks, we've been greatly blessed by God in this country, haven't we? And we try to acknowledge that on Thanksgiving. Hey God, thank you. Thank you for all this. Now, I don't know that we can hold the whole nation accountable to cheating God. I mean, how do they know? And I read this, and, and I'm just thinking out loud. I'm not saying this is the interpretation of this passage. But I wonder, you're under nation for the whole nation has been cheating me. I wonder if the people of God have brought a curse on this nation. Isn't it easy for us to come to church and talk about how bad everybody is out there and that's why America's so bad? But out there, they don't know to acknowledge God with all that they've been given. It's only the people in here that know that. It's the people sitting in, in churches all over America today that know there's something that belongs to God. And if we're cheating Him, if we're robbing Him, is it quite possibly the people of God that have brought a curse on this nation? Listen to that. Verse 9. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. Will we? Will we let God prove what He can be and do in our lives? I would like to conclude this morning by just offering the challenge of God to your personal life and finances. Whether you're like that poor widow in that service that doesn't have two pennies to rub together, or maybe you're doing quite well right now. I don't, ha I don't have any needs. Finances are just fine. That doesn't mean a curse is not coming if we rob God. 
Could I challenge you to test God? And bring the whole tithe into his storehouse, into the church? Now, if it was just me, and you say, well, how should I test him? I'd say for a year. Give God one year. God, for one year, I'm going to give 10% of my income to you. You may say, you know what, I, 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 I don't... I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't know if I want to make that kind of commitment. Okay, then make your commitment. Go home. Pray to the Lord. Talk with your mate if you're married. What, what, what kind of way do we want to test God in this? What kind of way do we want to see Him prove His faithfulness? Maybe, maybe you'd say, you know, God, we're, we're giving you five paychecks. We're going to give you five paychecks to prove how faithful you are. Maybe you say, okay, we're going to tithe for, for three months. You know, that's, that's not for me to decide for you. That's between you and the Lord. But I would use God's word to challenge you. Would you put him to the test? Go home, pray about it, talk about it, agree together, make a commitment, a, a set period of time or a set number of paychecks. And see what God can be. See what he can do. He asked you to. He asked you, let me prove myself. What's your answer? Let's pray. Father, I just come before you right now and Lord, I know there's many people in this room who, maybe like me, they, they grew up with parents that modeled this. They, they started this early in life, early in, in their adult life and managing a budget. And it's a, it's a very normal part of what they do now. And boy, we're, we're grateful for, for your word. We're grateful for a message like this because it just affirms, it encourages, it reminds us of why we are where we are, why we're doing what we're doing. Lord, maybe there's others in here today that this is kind of a a new concept or maybe something they've not wanted to take on for whatever the reason might be. Lord, would you guide each of us in here, wherever we are on this spectrum, to know why we think what we think and to know how it connects to your word. Lord, our nation, uh, God, we need your blessing in the area of our finances. We're we're deeply in debt. We are about to deeply be enslaved. Lord, you've given the answers to the people of God. It's got to start in your house. Not, not just the giving, God, all of your commands, all of your principles on, on how to handle our finances. But Lord, we're not going to trust you with all those other things if we can't trust you with the first step. If we can't be a witness with the first step. Lord, would you guide each of us into how we should be handling this, what we should be doing, the kind of witness that we're leaving those around us. God, may we see the freedom that it brings to to open up, not to be afraid to talk with you about our budget and let you have your way in it because your way is good for us. 
pray our heart and mind as we've trusted you for salvation and heaven and hell and we've trusted you for so many things in life. God, may we think through clearly if we're trusting you here and obeying you here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.